Hello and welcome to episode 123 of the Tech Reformation, where the world of technology meets the worldview of Christianity. I'm Ben. I'm Craig. I'm Derek. And this is Tank. This week, it's time to talk about another dystopian future film with lots of technology in it. That's right, it's Ready Player One week. Grab your Bibles and movie tickets and we'll get into it. <laughs> All right, enough of this enough of these shenanigans. It's time to actually talk about the movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, maybe just watch it before you listen to the episode. Because we may end up talking about things that you wouldn't want to know until after you've seen it. Um, so spoiler alert right from the start. Probably Spoiler alert! To watch the film before you listen to something that talks about the film, just in case that wasn't self-evident. So, this week, I uh, wanted to kind of run through a few things about this movie. We've all seen it uh, pretty recently. Obviously, it came out pretty recently. Um, I think it seems to be doing all right. The, the theatre was decently attended when I was there. Um, but yeah, I think it's an interesting one for us to discuss given our intersection of um, technology and how to live in a world where technology is becoming more and more prominent all the time. So, initially, I just wanted to get our sort of first thoughts and reactions to this movie. What did we think? What were your um, impressions? Obviously, it's a Steven Spielberg-directed film. So, I am a big Spielberg fan. I have some particular thoughts about that, but I wanted to hear what you guys think as well. Well, I'm going to pull a Derek here, and uh, (laughs) I've been thinking about this since I saw the movie. And, uh, you know, I think if you just take it on its own terms, it's a fun time. (laughs) Everyone's just taking themselves way too seriously with all the, like, this is terrible, and it's all super anti this and that, and you shouldn't like it because blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I I thought it was fun. I I tend to agree. I'm totally in agreement. Like, I really enjoyed the movie. I read the book like five times before that. It's it's a fine book. There are issues. Uh, The movie is a great romp. Like, I would put it up there as a. um, I I won't put it on the on the level of Indiana Jones because I don't want hate mail. But um, (laughs) I would I would put it in like the category of like comedy yet adventure yet you know that kind of a a fun romp. Yeah, Yeah. Let me be clear. I recognize that this film will not win any Oscars. Well, it shouldn't win any Oscars. Probably probably won't. Visually, it's... I think you can still enjoy a movie that's not an Oscar-winning or nominated movie. Absolutely. It's not like it was like a Michael Bay film or something. It was was fine. Yes, yes, yes. I think think, um, your first pushback there, Derek, would have come from me during the episode if you had compared it to Indiana Jones too closely. (laughs) Because I think... Like, I, I agree. I, I went into it um, with another podcast in my head that had kind of downplayed it um, and sort of uh, given their thoughts about it already. Uh, and so I was kind of like, mm, I wonder, you know, if I'll agree with them or disagree with them, whatever. I did come out of it thinking, yeah, that was fun. I, you know, didn't have any major issues with it. Um, found it to be enjoyable and whatever, engaging. I was falling asleep because it was late at night and I was tired, but I still managed to. Um, watch the whole thing and get the storyline and did have a good time. The thing where it didn't, and this isn't like a worldview thing or anything like that, but the thing where it didn't quite feel, it didn't quite live up to, I guess, what I was hoping it would with like the Spielberg-esque thing was it just didn't feel like a classic Spielberg movie, if you know what I mean. And by that, I guess what I'm saying is I think other directors could have directed this movie and it would have turned out pretty similar. There was a couple of points where I felt like, oh, yeah, that's quite Spielberg. But, um, you know, when I think of Spielberg, I think of, the shark point of view shots in Jaws and I think of the close-up of the guy's face while he's driving the car in Jewel and then cutting to the close-up of the truck behind him and 
the the water i just think of that weird looking little alien yeah et okay yeah <laughs> the the water ripples in in um Jurassic park just the little the details and the little things that he sort of puts in and also the sort of um the type of comedy that's kind of doesn't take or at least in his in his early films he didn't sort of take anything too seriously like it was all maybe with the exception of Jewel, but there was a, a fair bit of sort of comedy thrown in to sort of lighten the mood throughout. Um, obviously, there's departures from that with Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan and War Horse and whatever, uh, which are all, all good movies in their own right, but just a different thing. I guess when I think Spielberg, I think of riding around on bikes, going to school, um, having fun with your friends, and then something extraordinary happens in your life, um, whereas this just kind of felt like we were put into a world where the VR thing was the norm, um, and this guy was just kind of caught up in the norm, but then the the central character did, I guess, the extraordinary thing was that he he then sort of um, leveled up or <laughs> like became became a bit more um, prominent in his world than he, he was before. Uh, but it just didn't have that sort of feel good um, '80s vibe that I was kind of hoping for, if that makes sense. But doesn't mean it wasn't a fun movie. I still still thought it was a fun fun film. Yeah, I thought it was fun too. Um, it wasn't amazing i didn't leave thinking this was the most impactful or great movie and i'd ever seen but i enjoyed it and i have always thought it would be amazing to live inside of a virtual well not live inside of a virtual reality world but uh, be able to experience a world like that so seeing it on screen was and seeing how far that the movie uh brought the world which i guess is probably about how far the book brought the world i was like yeah that's really cool i would enjoy that so, yeah. have you read the book too tank I haven't read the book. No. Derek, you didn't have any major issues with like the differences between the book and the movie? Was uh, no. I, I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, everything in the book is not super... Like, they didn't take out anything that was terribly important to the plot line. They did avoid killing off people that they killed in the book, which I think would have been nice in the movie, like, just to add stakes. Um, it'd be nice to kill people off. Don't don't take that out of context. Um <laughs> I mean, so so there were there were things that were better about each. Neither of them are masterpieces, but I personally uh, think the movie is better than the book, um, in the grand scheme of things. That might answer my question, Derek. But I have not read the book, and mm-hmm. I left the movie thinking maybe I should read this book. So let me just put it to you: it's, Should I read the book? Yeah, it's it's fine. It's a fun read. Uh, it's it reads really easily. I I listen to I listen to this book via Audible. So um, there are parts. Okay, that are, so you haven't read the book. <laughs> no, I've read the book with my ears, Ben. There's a the definition of Derek. Words have reading. meanings, man. <laughs> um. But yeah, so I have I have consumed all of the words of the book. How about that? <laughs> and uh, Derek it's fun. It's not high literature. Pages. I I enjoy my my Sanderson books better. But what I really like about the book is is just the the take on like essentially making our world uh, like taking our world and creating this thing that everybody wants, which is or, or everybody wants to at least try is this virtual reality where anything is possible and everything is like, you know, you can, f- you know, you can do anything, which is the cool thing about VR that I think we're all looking forward to. 
Well, let me take a quick break and let's talk about our sponsor really quick. Our sponsor this week is Missional Wear, which is your Reformed Theology gift shop. Uh, Mother's Day is coming up here real soon. So, of course, Missional Wear has whatever you need for uh, apparel or accessories gifts um, for that special mother in your life. Um, they've got ladies tees, which have a standard and a fitted fit. So if you like that more comfortable fitted tee, they definitely have that. There's a bunch of different designs in the ladies section than there is in kind of the standard section. Um, so you want to check all those out, even if you've been through the standard stuff before. And of course they have all of their, uh, beer glasses, tum- tumblers, posters, all that kind of stuff. So, so you can find something special for that special mother. Missional Wear has been making things since 2010, and they have an impressive library. So to grab some apparel, drinkware, or accessories for yourself, or even just to browse their gorgeous designs, check them out at missionalwear.com to get your lifestyle on mission to the glory of God. Thanks to Missional Wear for sponsoring Tech Reformation. All right. So I guess from there, I thought it'd be good to go into a little bit of discussion of key themes. Hopefully this will gear us a little bit away from just like specific uh, plot spoilers um, and a bit more towards like big picture, you know, what did we take away from the movie? I guess what were the things that stood out to us or um, that we sort of followed along in terms of storyline in a a prominent way. Um, I felt like pretty... You know, it's pretty. It's the pacing was good. Like it pretty quickly introduced us to the protagonist, uh, Wade Watts, and invested us at least somewhat in um, his sort of uh, journey, his quest to um, finding the the three keys and um, you know sol- solving that problem. I guess solving that puzzle in order to to get to his end goal. Um, but I guess I I was sort of surprised myself by. Uh, going into the movie, I thought, okay, it's about it's about a whole world of VR. Like you can you can um, live in the real world, but you actually really are living in this VR world. Like that's what I thought the Oasis was, and it kind of looked that way initially, right? Like everyone in there, everyone who was actually standing in their kitchen was looked like they were playing Wii, but they were doing VR stuff, and um, they weren't engaged in the real world. They were, they were just in their VR headsets. Um, so I kind of went, oh, okay, so it's about escapism. Like it's about um, you know, getting away from reality and disconnecting from real people and uh, those kinds of things. And I thought that from for probably, I don't know, a third of the movie. And then I was really surprised, pleasantly surprised, I guess, by the fact that that wasn't the main theme at all. And in fact, um, it was refreshing that uh, there was there was a couple of moments where um, it was it was quite obvious that the real relationships were, just as if not more important than what was going on in the VR world. So there's the there's the rooftop encounter between him and the female character, um, and Artemis. then there's the f- Artemis. Thank you. Um, and then there's like the fact that when he's looking for information, he's going through the library and listening to dialogue of real people to try and solve the problem. He's the only one in the library. Like he's the only one looking for the information in that place. But he he goes there because he figures. If I can actually learn from hearing the person talk, who's who I'm trying to sort of figure out what was going on in their head, if I can actually get to know them and get to know what their motivations were, that will help me in you know that will move me forward um, in in a better way than I could do just by sort of guessing or assuming. So there was a couple of, and then obviously you know towards the end, there's there's more of like the team environment that comes around him. Um, but yeah, so I, I was pleasantly surprised that that didn't turn out to be sort of the driving thing that I walked away with going, oh, everyone just spent the whole time in this other world and the real world didn't matter. 
Um, but yeah, what other what other themes do you think came out? It was actually quite the opposite, right? Yeah, the whole direction of the ways. movie, it, like the trajectory, was was backwards of what maybe you expected, and I think I expected moving in. Like it, it, they're going into it. It seemed like it was going to be the real world's boring or sucks or we don't hang out in it, and because the Oasis is so much better, like you were talking about. Instead. Um, it opens with the real world's pretty terrible and look at our living conditions, but Hey, we have this awesome place where we can go in the Oasis and we can get away from all that. And then at the end of the movie, after everything goes horribly wrong and they fix it, um, they close the Oasis on Tuesdays and Thursdays quote, because people need to spend some more time in the real world. I bet Derek hated that. Uh, (laughs) no, I'm not opposed to that. Um, I mean, that's fine. (laughs) He's, he's the... (laughs) He's a private owner of, of, of a service. He can do whatever he wants with his business. Um, but uh, um, I actually, and that's kind of opposite of what the book uh, is talking about, too. At the, um, the book it does kind of embrace the escapism and, and really posits that VR is quite a positive thing. There's no issue with that. So, uh, so it, I think Spielberg may have taken a different a different route with it than the than the author did, but that's okay. It's fine. Um, but I do I do like the fact that VR was not vilified uh, as as thing these things can be. Um, usually, it's the uh, you know whole new technology is bad thing that uh, that is portrayed in movies, and this was not that. So there was an article that we sort of came across leading into this show. Do you feel like that article vilified VR at all? I'm talking about an article by Michael Kruger entitled, uh, Would You Take the Red Pill or the Blue Pill? Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One and the Triumph of Postmodernity. Um, so in terms of the way, like Derek, would you say that you agreed with him that it sort of pushed the idea of postmodernity and... Uh, fluidity and changing yourself and being whatever you want to be and not really dealing with objective truth and all those kinds of themes. Like, do you think that's the message of the, like, obviously the sum of that is inherent in VR, right? Like there's some kind of um, adjustment of reality or, or, you know, changing of reality. Obviously that's what it's about, but do you think that was the goal? Is that the goal of the movie? Like, is that the message it's trying to push? I feel like we could do an entire episode on this. But let me try to sum up. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, like on this particular issue, I think what I'm going to ask is you, well, is say that you could take that post, you could um, task or label storytelling in general with a postmodern label because you can make your story whatever you want it to be. Um, Now, I understand that this is, this would be simulating real life. Like, like if, if this happened in real life, people would be playing out their own realities, which can be an issue, but people also do that in real life. Uh, VR would just perhaps enhance that ability. I would say it won't, it wouldn't bring up new issues, but it would enhance old issues that we may not have seen because everybody already, you know, puts on a fake smile at church when they're, you know, when their kids are misbehaving and presenting themselves as, as a perfect family when they're not and, and, and so on and so forth. That, that sort of thing. Does that make sense? I, I think, I think ta- like labeling VR with, uh, a very postmodern label is unfair to the, te- the technology and um, perhaps unfair to humanity as well. Um, I mean, uh, you can have a very negative view on 
humanity or a positive view on this one. I, I think there's a balance there. I do think that this movie is a product of the culture. I, I think I do think one of the main themes is this right of self-definition that I am who I say I am and you can't tell me otherwise. And that takes obviously many forms. The reason I'm saying that is when we're first introduced to the Oasis, the sort of the sentence that describes it that Wade says is the reason people love it. Uh, he says, quote, people come to the Oasis because of what they can do, but they stay in the Oasis because of all they can be. And so the emphasis on rather than doing, uh, but on being. So that idea of I can define my core identity in a way and my my look and my, you know, even my skill set in exactly the way that I want to, regardless of what's real outside the Oasis um, about me. I agree with both of you, um, but in different ways. Because, and I'm glad you brought that up, Ben, because that was a, a quote that I thought we should definitely be talking about. Um, and as a standalone quote, it does feel like, um, and and reading the article by Kruger, I was kind of like, yeah, okay, I can see all, all of those points that he made, and I think there, there's some validity there. Um, but I think for me, the, the sort of the clinch scene that made me go, well, it's not completely about that was the fact that, um, like, I think that scene on the rooftop between him and Artemis in their non-Avatar selves in the real world sort of shifted me away from that, from, from dwelling on that completely at least. Like, it wasn't, it, it made me realize that they actually saw uh, reason and value in breaking down the wall of falsity of, like, what they'd made themselves to be and saying, well, this is who I really am. You know, she's got a a birthmark on her face or whatever and, and in real life. And that's always held her back from interpersonal relationships. Um, and he says, you know what? I'm so keen on having some kind of interpersonal relationship with you that I don't care about like that. That's not important to me. So there was this kind of both in story and visually, um, there was sort of this breaking down of that need to reinvent self, um, at least on sort of a permanent basis and have that be the only way that you're known um, to, to people that you haven't met before. Like the only way you can meet, people who are who are new or whatever so yeah i don't know I, I think there's a bit of both in there and i think you can you know depending on which way you look at it you could probably say it's a, a really strong theme or you could say it's kind of in there because of the inherent nature of vr but it's maybe again at, towards the end of the movie when they're trying to figure all the stuff out and fix the mess it's the real relationships that end up actually playing a big role in that do you know what i mean and i think that's significant i think that's it's i think it's good that it went that way and it didn't just say once we're in the Oasis, everything happens in the Oasis and that's how the whole movie is kind of uh, resolved and completed with no sort of outside um, world stuff going on. Yeah, that's what, whenever I read the Kruger article, I was, um, my thought was like, he talked about having watched the trailer and then he shares all of his thoughts and then the article abruptly ended to me because I was expecting, and then I watched it and realized that this wasn't the movie at all, you know, because <laughs> I feel like it was very much, because I read the article after I watched the movie. And to me, the scene that speaks most against what he was saying was whenever, right before the rooftop scene where it's the dancing place, and she's like, you only see what I want you to see. Like, you don't love me, you just love what I want you to see, what I want you to know about me. And so I feel like that was a big attack on the whole VR world in itself, you know, that it was um, 
that this none of this is real and none of this is what actually matters but it's when we go into the real world and that matters um and then i had it think it had the theme of like accepting people for who they are because of like the 11 year old kid and um the guy who ended up actually being a girl but i think none of it was like we should accept people for who they want to be i think it was we should accept people for who they are was was the ultimate theme of of um not the ultimate theme of the movie, but just in that, in that realm of thinking. Um, and so I think it's true that <clears throat> it was depicting our culture in the sense that a lot of us want, want to be something other than we are and want to act like we're something other than we are. But I think its message was we should stop acting and, and accept people for who, for the truth instead of the, and so when in his article he was talking about our culture has gone away from wanting the truth and this movie shows that i think it was the opposite that this movie shows that maybe our culture has gone away from the truth but we should um we should still want to go back to the truth yeah there's value in dealing with the the reality that god's put us in rather than just always aspiring to a different reality not that Spielberg was saying anything about God, um, but you know that's. I guess that's that could be a takeaway. Ben, you're still looking disagreeing, man. What's what's going on? I'm just thinking about what Tank just said, and if I think he's reading that into the movie because he's a good Christian, or <laughs> if the movie is actually saying what he just said. And I want to rewatch the movie with that in mind to try and understand it on its own terms a little better because he may be absolutely right. That's not the impression I left with. So um, if I could give maybe an example to help us um, sort of learn together on this, cause I'm not, I'm not exactly sure personally, and maybe one of you guys could help me out here. Um, do you think tank the creators of this movie and again, I want to just be clear. I haven't read the book, so I have no idea if these main themes that I, that I thought came from the movie also come from the book or if it was just from the movie. So I'm just going to talk about the creators of the movie. Um, so do you think that the creators, the writers or the directors or the producers, whoever that is, who are behind Ready Player One, the movie, if I told them um, I am a five foot tall Asian man, do you think they would think that that's a good thing? And that they should, based on their movie, do you think they would think that that's a good thing and that they should affirm what I say about myself and that that's who I should be? Or do you think they would say, no, actually you're a six foot two white man and you need to step into the reality of who you actually are and not pretend to be someone else? I think the movie doesn't comment on that. <laughs> well, I think, obviously, I th I obviously they don't address that specific I, yeah, situation. Yeah, I think the movie... I think the movie would say we should accept that you think you are a five foot five Asian man. Exactly. That's so my not, point. Not, not saying, not saying it should accept that that is true or false, but it's saying that we should accept you for who you are. And so when you go into the Oasis that, um, like because the the eleven year old Asian kid he became that awesome ninja. You know they came out of the oasis and he was an eleven year old and they're like, but we still think you're awesome right. even though you're eleven year old because we know you. And so I don't think they're speaking to the morality of whether it's true or false. I think they're saying that we should accept that this is who a person is and that who, who that person believes they are, and say we shouldn't say. 
I don't want to know you because you think you are a five foot five Asian man. We should say, I still want to know you. Now, whether or not we should try to convince you that you're wrong, it doesn't speak to that. Maybe I'm like turning somehow un, like unwillingly liberal, and I hope I'm not. Um, <laughs> but I think I watched it with too much nuance to go down the road that I think you're thinking it's going down, Ben. And what I what I mean is like I think that um, I I draw a bit of a distinction between someone might think it's fun to in in a virtual reality that they know is virtual to be something that they completely cannot be like it might it might just be interesting to be way way taller and way way stronger than you are in real life in a virtual setting is that inherently wrong morally um then you I, I guess if if you'd say yes to that then you'd say any sort of online game or any game where you can choose your character and create something that's not you is potentially morally wrong because you're lying about who you are and I think, I mean, it's a little bit different with VR because you're actually acting out the stuff. It's not just, you you know, kind of further removed from it. But um, I feel like there is kind of a distinction between we all know this is a virtual world. So when I'm encountering other people's avatars, I know that's an avatar and I know that I don't know who that person is. So what they're presenting to me is just what they've chosen to present to me. And theoretically, I guess they could change that. And that might be for them a fun thing rather than a moral thing. It might not be for them... You know, as a man, I feel like a woman or I feel like I'm a different nationality or something like that. It might just be, hey, I've always wanted to be awesome at this and I'm not in real life, so I'll see what it's like to be awesome at that. Um, and whereas the reality, like I said, because the real relationships are still there and what Tank is saying with the 11-year-old boy is important, that we are brought back to this sort of central idea that um, it's known to these people that who they are in the in the Oasis is not who they really are. Um, maybe sometimes they forget that and that's why they're kind of surprised when they realize how young he is. But ultimately, the value that they place on him is not the value they get purely from his avatar. They realize he's actually a cool person in general. So, um, I think, you know, people using like something different just to ex- test it out or experiment or whatever, try it in in a game setting, I think isn't necessarily morally wrong. Whereas if in the real world that 11-year-old boy was saying, no, I'm actually a 35-year-old female, um, Hispanic rather than an Asian 11-year-old boy, then, yeah, that would that's where I think the moral issue would come from because then that's saying in this, in this what we know to be actual reality, I am not being truthful about who I am. Does that make sense? <laughs> Made sense to me, but I agree with you, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not entirely convinced I'm having the same conversation as you guys are. <laughs> I think um, the movie okay. doesn't have that conversation, so that's why we, I think we're finding it difficult. Yeah, I'm not saying the movie was saying what I just said. I'm saying that's what I that's how I approached it and that's how I walked away from it. I didn't walk away from it going, I see a moral problem with having an avatar that's completely different to I didn't you know, either. I don't see that as necessarily lying. I didn't either. That's why I said I wasn't having that conversation. I enjoyed the movie precisely because I didn't think it was majoring on this issue. I thought it presupposed mm. this issue. I thought it was a product of the culture on this issue. I think the point I'm trying to make is Tank, when you say the point of the movie is accept people for who they are. I think part and parcel with that uh, is I am who I say I am. And that's the thing I'm taking issue with. I don't think that was the main point of the movie. The reason I enjoyed the movie is because it wasn't that story. It wasn't, I don't care what everyone tells me I am. I need to look down deep inside myself, figure out who I really am, and then assert that to the world and you can't do anything about it. That was presupposed, but it wasn't the main point. The main point was a good old-fashioned quest to find the three keys. And that was a fun time. That's why I enjoyed it. 
But that doesn't mean that the worldview isn't there. <laughs> yeah, if you're looking about, if you're if you're asking about authorial intent, like uh, as someone who read the book, that is definitely the worldview of the person who wrote the book. Um, but the book is not smart enough to be able to comment on it without any kinds of any kind of nuance or, or anything. It is ba- it's just supposed to be a. It actually it it has it has a very heavy handed atheist worldview at the very beginning of the book, which, uh, to a point where it was like angering to me, like it was just so forward. So it's, it's not really a book that majors on nuance in, in any kinds of these discussions, but it definitely, it definitely assumes that. Um, but you can definitely take the movie without that baggage, I think too. I think that's a benefit of watching a movie that's been made from a book is you can approach the movie on, on like, with a bit of a clean slate, I don't want to say on its own terms, but kind of like you can approach the movie, you can approach the movie and bring to it your worldview and say, okay, there are things in here that I, I personally would not agree with the author on or the, or even the filmmakers on. But like, so obviously Tank and I were able to watch it without um, finding, you know, that to be a, a major issue or, or an issue that kind of we got hung up on. But I can see that it's certainly there. That That concept is there for sure. It's interesting, Derek, that you brought up that the book starts out strongly atheist um, because I don't know if I got that sense from the movie, but I did get the sense that they were very happy to talk in terms, uh, in like almost worship terms about the Oasis. Actually, I think that that language was used explicitly a couple of times about um, the creator, Halliday, and about even the Oasis itself and the experience of being in it and... um, yeah, I, I just, even the first time when we see the Oasis, you know, there's this hymn music playing in the background and it's a very, it's almost, a, it's almost like a worshipful experience. And I just thought that was really interesting. And actually, now that you mention that, uh, this is also towards the beginning of the book, you know, it goes off on ridiculing religious people, but there's a very, there's a very kind uh, religious lady down at the bottom of the stacks that, that um, Wade Watts always passes on his way to his uh, hidden van. Um who who they have a great relationship. Um, and he's like, yeah, she pretty much spends most of her time in the Oasis in like uh, big virtual megachurches and whatnot. Um, and while she's wrong, you know, it's what she does to cope. Uh, and and like that's her, that's what worship is for her. And, and to be honest, the Oasis is that for me. Like it is my coping mechanism. Like it's, it's um, showing that, it, it does have that admission that the oasis is his form of worship to some extent, which yeah, was, which I, is an I interesting admission. That, yeah. I wrote down that they referred to Halliday as um, it, like the creator of the oasis is like a God and they worship him more than his creation. And then what I thought was really interesting was in one of the next scenes, he dies. And I was thinking about the um, just, yeah, interesting. I guess it, it just makes me, every time I see something like that, I think about the scene in Avengers when Loki's come to earth and um, he's taunting them. He's like, you can't touch me. I'm a God. And then the Hulk grabs him by the legs and just swings <laughs> him around and bashes him on the floor and stuff and goes puny God. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, oh, that's such well, a good scene. Your God died. So that sucks. Yeah, it's it's the existentialism of not having a, you know, a real god. Um 
which I always enjoy in media, seeing that uh, the impossible worldview of placing your hope in something that's hopeless. Um, I don't know why why that tickles me for some reason, uh, whether it's just like a, uh, it gives me more more love for my own God who is infinite and powerful and uh, someone worth believing in who and who is absolutely deserving of me believing in him. Um, and, and the having that contrast of these worldviews who just cannot possibly stand up to the almighty, almighty living God. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. Um, and I also think that, like, I, I certainly picked up on the quote that Ben was talking about when I was watching it as well. And I think I even sent myself a text message in the cinema, which is a big no-no. Don't use the, your phone in the movies, but I did it. Um, uh, and I think I agree with you, Derek. Like, one of the things I liked about the story was it, it actually showed, um, I guess, if you if you push it all to its sort of full conclusions um, and presuppositions that are underpinning it all, it actually showed that, um, a world that is created purely by humans and um, sustained by humans is not really a world of, of much value. Um, uh, and so the God of that world was an inferior God to the one that we serve and believe in. Um, and in fact, uh, the true God that we believe in um, is so far above and so so different to any um, human creature that, he, you know, he's not even constrained by... Um, death which is a, a real reality for people who are living in the in the oasis or in the w- real world um he he cannot die he is everlasting um but yet uh jesus um did uh come to earth and lay down his life um so that we could be reconciled to god so the god that we serve is not only um never ending whereas uh, halliday certainly was um mortal uh the god we serve is also um willing to go to great lengths to uh, reconcile uh, people to himself and to to bridge that distance between um, humanity and creator. Um, and so in some ways I think the film serves to kind of show us that that there's significance there, that, that if this is all that the world is, even if we technology continues to become more and more prevalent as we know that it will um, and virtual reality becomes like a huge part of our lives like this movie depicts it to be, I think the film does in some ways serve to show us that um, if that's where people's hope is and if that's what people are sort of treating as as reality and, and where their ultimate worth and enjoyment comes from, then that's, that's uh, misplaced and, um, yeah, we need to be um, looking to, to God instead. If you would like to connect with us, you can do so by jumping in our Slack. Sign up at slack.techreformation.com. Check out our website, techreformation.com, where you can see past shows and episodes. And if you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can reach us at Tech Reformation. This has been Tech Reformation. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. So grab your CSVs and DVDs and let's get started. No! (laughs) Your CSVs. What are you going to do with a text file with comma delimited stuff in it? (laughs) No, this is the problem with the ESV.
CBD. Oh, it's the, the English CSB. language, really. It's CSB. the CSB. Everything right. sounds like yes. the same letter. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It Everything does. does B-D-E-C. You can't even tell what I'm saying. It's like, am I even speaking English? I'm speaking in tongues. What's going on? N-K-J-B. Ugh.